The following is presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Insist on respect the sister, walk around like a woman is. She won't speak unless it's something worth saying. Don't play the girl, take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She's got a natural way, her hips sway furiously. Yeah, the luxurious thing. Carries herself like the cutest, most prettiest thing you see this side of the bay. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, Georgia debates, who came out on top, and why your vote matters. We cover it all. We know that no matter where you are, it's a challenging time, a changing time, a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we are going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99 because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. This is a this or that. Frisco or San Fran? The city, I just never called it Frisco or San Fran. But, but if, you never called it the SCO. Oh, no. This week, I am thrilled to bring you a recent conversation I had with the brilliant powerhouse, Madam Mayor London Breed. I sat down with my sis in front of a live audience at Lesbians Who Tech Summit in San Francisco. We chatted about absolutely everything, from Peloton to the panoramic to the future of San Francisco, and it was an excellent conversation. So now, let's travel to the Lesbians Who Tech Summit, live from San Francisco, California. Yes. Woo. We coordinated. I'm so happy to see you. I'm happy to see you too. It's on and popping. Oh, yes. Okay, so let me do a proper introduction. London is a native San Franciscan who has such deep love for her city that she had to do something about it. She made history in 2018, becoming the first black woman to be elected mayor of San Francisco. And as the 45th mayor of this city, London Breed is working to create a more resilient and equitable San Francisco for everyone. <laughs> During her administration, she has prioritized policies and programs to address some of the most crucial issues facing the city, including economic recovery, housing, homelessness, workforce development, public safety, climate change, and recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Please give it up for the Honorable Madam Mayor Breed. I just like saying that, Madam Mayor. It's kind of lit. So you know how we start the pod off, and um, contrary to popular opinion, we are still in a pandemic. In fact, you and I was COVID testing over lunch. Yes, definitely. <laughs> We're doing it like that these days. So um, tell us a little bit, Mayor, about what your pandemic life has been like, and are you developing any new habits live and direct from Miss Rona? Well, let me tell you, um, some of you remember San Francisco was like the first major city in the country to declare a state of emergency. That's right. And, you know, as a result of our early action, we saw one of the lowest death rates of any major city in the country. I'm really proud of that. Come through. Um, but it wasn't easy. <laughs> Let me tell you, I never imagined I'd be telling grown-ups to mm-hmm. stay home and to deal mm-hmm. with something that none of us had a playbook for ever experienced. And so I was, of course, home alone. Um, I have my neighbors, the twins, who I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness we were like a family. Yep. Like, that was my quarantine family. Mm-hmm. And it was rough. We would take walks. We would... Um, 
We were bored. Okay. <laughs> we were bored. I was. I know I was running a city real. and I was on Zoom all day nonstop. Um, but I got to tell you, my wigs came in handy. Hello. Um, I wore just the top ups yep, like everybody else. <laughs> wore house shoes all day. There we go. I gained the COVID nineteen. Maybe you're trying um, to lose the COVID nineteen. Meaning the pounds and. Um, I started redecorating a little bit because oh, I was cute. like, my place is not really lived in. Mm. And now I'm a plant mom. I'm really mm. proud. I went from like zero to 34 plants. That's how it should be. You know, and poor Audrey. She's like, mama, where you been? Plant. Look, I mean, this is a plant and it's my baby, right? <laughs> These were some of the things that brought me joy during the pandemic. And it was really hard because every single day I had to find the strength to really try and get people to do things that they were tired of doing. Yes, I know about that. Um, but, you know, I got a Peloton, as you mentioned. Um, I started collecting plants. I could only do so many happy hours mm-hmm. on Zoom. <laughs> After a while, you know, I needed to see people in person, right? So it was rough, but, you know, some fun habits that have kind of stuck with me uh, that I still try and make sure I'm still riding my Peloton. I'm, you know, I'm over a thousand rides, okay, by the way. There we go. Can we talk about this? <laughs> Who's your favorite instructor? Oh, Cody. Come That's on now. Cody. Oh, okay. I'm like, Cody, if you hear me, holla. <laughs> I just like that he'd be talking about chicken nuggets all the time. Oh, my goodness. And how his mama brought the McDonald's to school and how everybody was jealous. I love it. Okay. I love the stories. <laughs> okay, so look, you're not a lesbian. I mean, Right. <laughs> I mean, let a bitch know if I don't know something, you know what I mean? But um, you do rock with the squad, though. Oh, so, I do. There's I that do. on that. Yes. So I want us to do a quick lightning round. It's called This or That. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, you know, question. Okay, okay, and, okay. And you pick, you pick one. Okay. And be honest now. You ready? Okay. Flats or drums? Um, I think drums. Okay. I mean, it's okay. These are your, these are your, this or that. She chose that. Okay. Um, E40 or RBL Posse? Oh. Oh. I know. I know. I'm sorry. Not. I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to say RBL. That was the right answer. Let me tell you, I rocks with. San Francisco so that was hard. Right. That, that was the Don't right give answer. me no Bama weed. I mean, that's, that's right. my song. That's right. That's um, right. Shout out to 40, though. Yes, I love me some 40, but RBL. We got to, like, um, solve a debate. This is a this or that, but this answer really matters. And I already know what you're going to say, but this is really educational for y'all. Frisco or San Fran? Okay, I'm just going to say this, okay? (laughs) When the Frisco is kicking it t-shirts came out, I was like, I ain't rocking that. Mm. Mm. But dang, San Fran, I guess. I don't know. What do you call it? Yeah, the city, San Francisco. See, these were the the natives that said the city. I just never called it Frisco or San Fran. But But you never called it the SCO. Oh, no. I mean, if I, you know, because like I said, the Frisco is kicking it shirts was banging back. Who had a Frisco is kicking it t-shirt? When you remember Frisco is, ki- okay, if, come on now. <laughs> I was in high school when those came out. <laughs> uh, serial monogamist or poly princess? Okay, so. Let me tell you, I believe in freedom, but, you know, I'm in a committed relationship now, you know, and so probably right now more of the monogamy thing is me. Okay. I like this. Yes. For now. This is cute. (laughs) This is cute. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, Long nails are short. Ooh. I, let me, my, my nails are short and I don't get to go to the nail shop like I used to mm-hmm. because the growth that comes out from not being able to go uh-huh. does not look good okay. on TV. Fair enough. Um, but if I could rock my nails long, I would do that every day of the week. She a top. 
right. <laughs> you know, we had to we had to get Every, to the answers. I would rock it. Yeah. We had to get to the answers yeah. now. Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> Y'all didn't know this is what the mayor came to talk about, did you? <laughs> oh, I'm so excited yes, we're doing this. Yes. Okay, so um, I have so many questions for you, but let's just start here. Okay. I have to admit, you know, especially now that I don't, I don't live here anymore, mm-hmm. it really brings a tear to my eye when I land in San Francisco and I land at the airport and I'm walking off the plane and I'm like, there's my sister. This bigger than life on the wall like who does that when they walk in an airport you'd be looking at some old white dude like oh here he go again you know what I mean but I get so excited when I see you and it's like it's one because you're the homie it's two because you're born and raised here but three it's because you are running the city that you were born and raised in and that means something to me so tell us a little bit mayor about your personal story and why that matters for you, yeah, being mayor of this city. Well, growing up in this city in poverty, I just didn't think being mayor was possible for someone like me. And when I say someone like me, my family, uh, you wouldn't even believe half the stuff. If I told you half of the issues that existed in my family, most people are blown away, right? My grandmother... She raised me in public housing. Um, you know, I don't know who my biological father is. My sister, sadly, lost her life to a drug overdose, and my brother is still incarcerated. And that's just kind of the, the some of the main right. things of my life that don't even begin to dig deep into the various layers of that. And why this matters that I'm here is because I honestly feel like what do I have to lose? I've been there. I've been in the worst of circumstances. And what's important to me, you know, because I know people like, oh, politicians, you know, whatever. But for me, it's very personal. And when I say personal, when I make the decisions that I make, a lot of it comes from my experience. It comes from how I lived and how I don't want other people to have to live like that. And so it matters when you have people who've lived through it versus constantly sometimes what I'm dealing with it, there are people who empathize with it. They, un- they see it and they don't like it, but they don't understand. They don't understand how it feels to live in it. Mm-hmm. And when they say that they know what's best for someone who's lived in it, it, it's so offensive, right? And it's so frustrating to work through. Doesn't mean we can't work together mm-hmm. to try and solve these issues just mm-hmm. because you didn't live in it. But I just feel there needs to be some level of understanding and respect for what people are going through when you are asking folks to trust you as a leader in any capacity, in an elected capacity specifically, that you're willing to, if I don't understand what it feels like to you know, live a certain kind of way, it, it's not completely my decision to say that I know what's best for you and I should be making this decision. I should be working with you to understand what we can do better. And so this is why it matters. And, and, and also being open enough to have the discussions and to be more inclusive. And the one thing that I think is very much problematic is when someone tells you no to just not be so horrible about it, mm. right? It's like, I've been told no too. I was told no today a couple of times Uh-oh. that I didn't like. But it didn't mean all of a sudden the person is the worst person in the world. And I think... In politics, it's important to get away from that and just remember why we're a part of this in the first place and, you know, try to do our very best using our experiences to hopefully make real change. You know, I really appreciate um, how honest that is. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, we honor and we celebrate you. And leadership comes with a lot of responsibility yeah, and special circumstances. And I think, you know, people see you looking good, you know what I'm saying? See you doing the press conferences, the ribbon cuttings, they like, oh, she got it easy. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can just take what I dish. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious because um, I think there's, like, not enough appreciation for the nuance mm-hmm. of what it means to have to be where the buck stops. Mm-hmm. So, 
My question for you is to take us behind the scenes a little bit. Yeah, yeah. What's the worst part of this job and how do you make it through? But also, what is the most fun and interesting part of this job? The worst part about this job is the bureaucracy. You know, I was just having this conversation with someone because, you know, all this stuff that came out about the letters that I had and, you know, what I expected of commissioners and and there's been a lot of talk about it, right? But at the end of the day, when I was talking to the person, I said, please, name one police commissioner. Name, Name one. Ultimately, the people of this city, they hold the mayor accountable for everything. I can't even fire or hire the police chief directly. I have to work with the members of the commission who are not elected, who most members of the public don't know. Mm. Not a problem, but at the same time, it also makes it a lot more challenging to implement the kinds of policies and changes that I need to implement. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some of them are appointed by the board of supervisors, some of them are appointed by me, but then the board of supervisors approves all of my appointees, I have no say in who they appoint. Mm. So it's all my responsibility, yet it's, it's like, honestly, like shackles. You know, it's just an example of making it difficult, no matter if I'm mayor or any other person is mayor. It's like adding more layers to make it more difficult to do the job that the people of this city expect you to do. So the worst part of it is the bureaucracy and the drama and how people are always trying to catch you doing something, especially me as a black woman. It's, mm. it, it is like some of the things I've had to encounter and the questions I've been asked that I know mm. have never been asked of any other person and, and only being asked of me because mm-hmm. of who I am and my race and my gender. It's offensive and frustrating. So those are the parts of the job that make me... Mm-hmm crazy, mm-hmm. but I'm going to pray for them. Okay. Um, As we say, let's say hard. <laughs> I'm going to pray for them. The best part of the job, I'll tell you, it is so amazing what we've been able to do, even though we know this, this is a major city. Major cities have its challenges. But I told you this story about the woman I ran into. Now, I thought she was going to say something not so nice to me, but mm-hmm. she said, Mayor, Thank you for everything you do. She said, I just took a man to Jazzy Collins' apartments and he was in tears. He said, I didn't know the city do all this. She said, I always take pictures with my clients and I want to show you a picture. And I was sitting there and I did not want to cry in front of her, but I was so happy and emotional about the fact that she helped this man and and me feeling like this work and what we're doing is working. It meant something to me. And that has been happening on a regular basis When we go, people are like, oh, I'm always at a ribbon cutting. But I met this gentleman at this place, this apartment building we bought that we first leased because of the pandemic and we purchased it. And the guy who was born and raised here, he had been homeless for 20 years, Mm. didn't even go to his mom's funeral. Mm. And he talked about how this is a chance for him to get reunited with his sister. Mm. You know, like there are people like that that we are helping every day. And those things don't even get the attention or the recognition that they deserve. It's always what we're not doing. It's always something negative. It's always something sadly horrible. But the good news is that that makes this job worth it. I don't even care. The the, the other stuff pales in comparison. Mm -hmm. It's like it pales in comparison when you know somebody's life that you've impacted who would otherwise be in a completely different situation. Mm. That makes this job worth it. I know, that's right. Yes. (laughs) All right, so I gotta gotta ask. You know, speaking of running shit, Mm -hmm. across the country we are in a pitched battle for the future of our communities. And it was deep to me to watch that video earlier, right? Because since 2020, what has become clear, right, is that our fight to make Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. is turning this country inside out. Yes. In good ways and challenging ways. And um, we know that Black communities were some of the hardest hit by the pandemic. And for many of us, recovery has not happened yet. 
We know that there's this narrative about an increase in crime in our communities that's being used and wielded in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And it's led a lot of leaders to call for more police, right? And I'm, I'm appreciating hearing you talk about the nitty gritty of, you know, how is leadership decided in cities when it comes to policing? Also, police aren't being defunded. Y'all know that, right? <laughs> they have a lot of money. A lot. A lot. So, San Francisco's not immune to this kind of controversy, right? There's been a lot of talk about, what do we do? Crime is increasing, people are pissed off because their windows are getting broken, <laughs> right? I see it all the time, people are like, I don't mess with San Francisco, my window got broken. I'm like, it's not that deep. You left your purse on the seat, and you know you did. You know you did. You know you left your purse on the seat, and your cell phone, just running into Molly Stones. No, we don't do that here. Anyways. Um, but there's also other kinds of things that are happening in the city, and let's just be real about that. I know that you have come under fire for some of your decisions around how do we deal with this tension, yeah. right, of what it means to live in an urban city, what it means to try and address crime and violence, which we can't say is not happening. I'm not talking about window breakings. I'm talking about other things. How do we deal with this tension around policing, funding police, increasing police forces, and also addressing challenges that are being faced in the city? How are you dealing with that as mayor? And I know you've gotten a lot of stuff around that, so yeah. I want to give you an opportunity just to say from your own mouth, Here's how we're looking at this. Well, I'm glad you've given me this opportunity because there's been a lot of conversation and stories. And you know what bothers me the most is the fact that I have since then annualized $60 million a year we don't talk about to go directly well. to the African-American community. And we have a less than 5% African-American population. And this has led to new businesses, home ownership opportunities in San Francisco for black people has led to a lot of great things. Mm -hmm. So when we had, for example, Cornell West here and a number of other leaders, I know you've been a part of Dreamkeeper, mm -hmm. working with and talking to and engaging the African-American community, the first thing some of the media or the you know, newspaper outlets write about is a bunch of non-African-Americans talking about, well, the city made a commitment to defund the police and they didn't do that, right? And so when this all happened with Black Lives Matter, you know, of course, you know, it was very problematic for me. I, I thought about my cousin who sadly was killed by the police here in San Francisco in 2006 and how my aunt couldn't get an independent investigation and as she was going through some medical challenges, was not treated very well. Mm. And one of the first things I did on the Board of Supervisors is pass legislation to require that all officer-involved shootings must have an independent investigation. And this is before all of yep. this was happening. And yep. so we were working, um, we, were, we were doing the work, working on the reforms. And at the end of the day, you know, I don't, completely support the concept of completely defunding the police. I want to be clear. But what I did do was take money from law enforcement to make a statement and make it clear that we are going to take those resources and invest those resources specifically in the black community. But I didn't stop there. As I said, I annualized that investment and made it clear that this is a long-term commitment to deal with what we know statistically are issues that have persisted for generations in the black community in San Francisco because I've lived in them, mm -hmm. you know, and because we talk about them, but we never do anything. During Black Lives Matter movement that, you know, you started and, and started to, you know, take flight in other ways all across the country and all this money that was committed, all these resources that were committed from cities, from the private sector, yeah. I'd like to understand who's doing more than what San Francisco is doing by putting its money where its mouth is. I'd like to know because... Here's the thing. I get it. It wasn't exactly what people had thought it was going to be when we took the resources from the department. Mm -hmm. But it became something still very important. And there was a follow through with our commitment to support this community. So from my perspective, 
you know, it may not be what others think it should have been, but it was what was in the best interest of the city. Because at the end of the day, now we could talk about car break-ins and some of those other things, but for me, it's people who are being killed. It's people that I know and their sons and their daughters who are being killed, who want justice, who want investigations, who want to make sure that people, sadly, who are murderers in our communities are off the streets. And they're not going to be the ones, the community's not going to be the one to step up and to deal with that. We do need police, but we also want to make sure that they respect our communities. And so that's really why we are implementing significant reforms with this department. Yes, we still have work to do. We are not where we need to be as a city. We still have work to do. The other thing that we're working on is alternatives to policing. So those people who are mentally challenged, those calls used to be a 911 call and then the police are showing up. Well, now it's a 911 call and we have the street crisis response team. And now other cities are duplicating this. It's a, so it's an alternative to policing where you have a clinician, a paramedic, you have people who can work with someone who's struggling with mental illness as long as it doesn't escalate to a point where the folks who are on the ground, they, they don't want to get to a point where they need an officer, but if they do, yeah. they know how to work with the police department to help address the challenges because we know you, issues tend to be unique based on the person. So here in San Francisco, we're not just talking about it, we're implementing it. Street crisis response team, street wellness team, you know, street overdose team. We're seeing more overdose deaths from fentanyl in this city than we saw COVID deaths, oh. you know? And, and so disproportionately, here, black people are impacted. Homelessness, disproportionately, black people are impacted. And so for me, in hearing a lot of the advocacy come from the non-African-American community, it can be quite frustrating because I know my friend's 15-year-old niece who died. I remember her when she was born. 15 years old, fentanyl overdose. Like, I know these people. These are my family and my friends who I grew up with. I know the various situations. And so at the end of the day, we have to make sure that, yes, as elected leaders, we're held accountable. You know, people may feel like, you know, well, I said one thing and I did another. They may not like the way that I did it. They may have a difference of opinion. You know, at the end of the day, I am doing what I think is not just best for a small group of people. I'm doing what's best for San Francisco because I love the city and I want to see things get better. And it requires being bold, courageous, putting yourself out there and not being cautious about what am I going to run for next or what am I going to do? I don't want to step on any toes. It's like, well, then don't be in this role. I'm putting it all on the table. Come on. You know, and... When you, when you put it all on the table, some people are going to like you for it and some people are not. But you know what? This is what you need to do when you're trying to make change. Change is hard and it requires being courageous and having really the courage to make the hard decisions despite whether or not you're able to hold on to your job. Mm. And so I just feel blessed to be mayor of San Francisco. I can't even believe it. Like, I know you think, like, whoa, she's the mayor. I'm like, peach, peach every day, peach. Because of my life. Like, I can go to my neighborhood right now, and it's like, Lon, Lon, what's up, Lon? You know, mm. and it's like my, my people, and they're like, dang, you really the mayor. Mm. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it's really something. Yeah. But while I'm mayor, you know, it's important yeah. that, you know, I don't let them down, yeah. that I work hard, that I try to change things. Because just imagine, this is just not because I'm black. Mm -hmm. Just imagine what a difference yeah. it will make in this city if African-Americans in San Francisco are able to thrive and how different San Francisco would be in terms of some of the challenges that exist and that can't just be that we empathize mm -hmm. and we want to, you know, give handouts and all that stuff and think we're supposed we to be the it. saviors of everyone. This it, means mm -hmm. uplift a community. This means support them based on what the community says they want. Mm. So when we put together Dreamkeeper, I didn't just say, even though I'm black, I didn't just, because even though I knew what I wanted, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't just say, this is what we're going to do for Dreamkeeper. It's like, no, you guys tell me what we need to do in this city. Mm -hmm. And then we annualized it and we made the commitment. And I'll tell you a, a quick story. 
Juneteenth Festival in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Every year, I'm talking about before I was mayor, before I was supervisor, I would get complaints about this person didn't get paid, this didn't happen, this didn't go down. I didn't get one Come one on. complaint. Come on. One complaint this year at Juneteenth for the first time ever. And, <laughs> and we're talking about festivals in the Fillmore, mm. at the Ferry Building, in the Bayview, in Lakeview, in all the areas where there are still some African-Americans. Mm -hmm. and, and community came together to celebrate and honor our history, not just in San Francisco, but our history with this country and how we need to just be inspired and empowered to do something even bolder and better for the black community in San Francisco. Mayor, so. you're incredible. Can we give it up for Mayor Breed? <laughs> so we're over time and I know I'm seeing, they're not giving us the hook, but they're close. But we gonna keep doing this because we got more conversation to have. Do we got something fun to end on? Um, that was it. So. <laughs> Wait, can I ask Alicia a question, please? Okay. McDonald's fries or Burger King? McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's. McDonald's fries. I know that was boring. That was the easy one. <laughs> Mayor, how can people follow your great work and you on the socials? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think I am London at London Breed on Twitter. Um, I think I am on... I am on Instagram. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'll just be quick. I can't, my staff, every time I get on social media, I change the password to get on there and then they change the password to get me off. <laughs> because I, you know, I, my thumbs go a mile a minute, you know, and they don't like what I say. <laughs> I, I, I told them I stopped using profanity online a long time ago. Not me. I stopped using it a long time ago, but you know, I, I'm, I think I'm on, I'm sure I'm on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and whatever those social medias are. But uh, the last thing I'll say, we, we were having a conversation um, just quickly. The world feels weird right now to a certain extent. And you know, I, I think it's so important that we do everything we can to bring joy into the world with our energy, with how we engage with one another, with how we interact with people. Because, you know, we have to really, and I know this is like cliche, Obama started this, but we really have to be the change we wanna see. Mm -hmm. And so I'm working on that to myself. Mm -hmm. And part of that is to try and put out more positive energy, more love, more excitement and appreciation in the world because there's so much going on. We can't let them steal our joy. So let's take it back and let's enjoy the world and let's enjoy and love on each other. Um, love on each other, top, bottom, on the side or whatever. Just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady Ain't Gonna Do this week. Number one, racist-ass L.A. City Council members set back Black-Brown unity by, like, I don't know, 50 years. Okay, y'all, honestly, I didn't even want to talk about this, but I figured it was an important lesson in what it takes to move forward together. This week, we learned through leaked audio that three Los Angeles City Council members thought they was white and went on a racist rant about a fellow white council member's black child. Oh yeah, you heard me correctly. These people spent their precious God-given time dragging a black child. Now, I ain't even gonna get into all the conversation because it was fucking dumb. But needless to say, it was inappropriate as fuck. And so much so that I am willing to bet that this was not the first time that these motherfuckers was talking this shit behind closed doors. And I also would be willing to bet that that's why these clowns got recorded, because somebody could not believe they motherfucking ears. Now, wait, though. It was the president of the city council and two other motherfuckers. Let me name names so that you understand what we're working with. Okay, so it was the president, whose name is Nuri Martinez, and the two other members 
Kevin DeLeon, and Gil Cedillo, alongside the motherfucking president of the Los Angeles County Labor Federation, Ron Herrera. Okay. So the Labor Fed president and the city council president had the good sense to resign because they didn't want that smoke, which is fucking interesting since they talked so much shit behind closed doors, but they wasn't willing to say that shit with their chest when them doors opened. Okay. Usually the fucking case. But the other two mediocre ass dudes is holding on to their seats and refuse to resign. Talking about, it's time to heal and move forward. Of course, Los Angeles don't play that shit. And black and brown people from all over the damn city is camped out in front of their homes and shut down their fucking meetings. Because why would y'all think it was finna be business as usual? De Leon and Cedillo have since been stripped of their committee posts. And the good sister Jasmine, who was on our show a while ago, is working within the Democratic Party infrastructure there to make sure that they don't get a dime of your damn dollars to run for office again. I'm with that shit. But man, when I tell you how deeply damaging this shit is, I can't actually express it enough. I spent hell years building multiracial organizations, and the truth of the matter is, this is shit we would have to deal with. All of our communities have deep issues stemming from colonization and white supremacy. But look, to my Latinx family, I promise, I swear to you, y'all ain't never finna be like the damn Irish and assimilated into whiteness in this here country. I literally fucking promise you it ain't gonna happen. These conversations we bore witness to are literally conversations that are happening right now in people's homes and workplaces every fucking day. We don't hear about that shit on the news. Now, I personally am mad as fuck about this shit because I, me, voted for DeLeon in his race against Dianne Feinstein because she got to go too. And the betrayal, I feel, is palpable. My G, you tried to exploit an identity for the purposes of gaining power, and then you were absolutely fine to exclude people from that power that niggas like me was finna help you get. Now, this is the irony of this whole shit. Y'all talking like Latinos can become a political force to be reckoned with without Black people, and that's where white supremacy got you fucked up. Now, our whole-ass futures are tied in with one another, and y'all gonna catch this word or you finna perish. That's a bet. Now, I do not care if one or a few of y'all join racist white organizations. If you don't think these motherfuckers won't turn the gun on your ass, you are sadly mistaken. Huh. Anywho. I don't want to spend any more time on this because it makes me sad and mad and sick, to be honest. And yes, I do. I want to shout out and congratulate all the people who stood the fuck up and said, hail to the na 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 blood. But also, let's not pat ourselves on the back too fucking much. It's fucking 2022. Niggas is being attacked at the border, kidnapped and shipped off to other states as the fascist governors begin their own programs of ethnic cleansing. And you dumb motherfuckers is out here talking about somebody's black child? Like your motherfucking children is safe? Bro, honestly and truly, this is why we cannot the fuck have nice things. So let me say this with my motherfucking chest. To those three bitch-ass city council people, no more power for you. To that bitch-ass labor president, fuck you. How dare y'all? And no. I am not dumb enough to believe that all Latinos feel this way, and you should not be either. However, get clear that anti-blackness is every motherfucking where, even amongst our allies, and that is why we can't keep doing shallow-ass, multiracial, unity-building work, because this is what you get when you do that shit. Do the shit right. All right. Other things we ain't gonna do this week, well... Friends don't let friends Kanye. I also did not want to talk about this clown shit this week, but since the world is disintegrating, unfortunately, these days, we don't get to pick the news. So, y'all know Kanye is the Black community's Britney Spears. I have said this before, but basically, we have been watching old boy have a very public and prolonged meltdown since his mama died. Okay? 
He went from George Bush don't care about black people to wearing MAGA hats and hanging out with musty ass Candace Owens talking about being a free thinker and shit. Okay. Selling you niggas ugly shoes and clothes in trash bags. And because we don't make sense as a fucking society on so many levels, we've been letting that shit slide because we've allowed, okay? We have allowed for black politics to be dumbed the fuck down because a lot of niggas ain't got the range and we don't encourage people to have the range anymore. And what I mean by that is we allow for who the fuck ever to say what the fuck ever and call it interesting and doing our own research. That shit is on us. Now, anywho, last week it was White Lives Matter. And now this week it's Kanye buying the basically failed social media site for conservatives called Parler. Now we know why Candace has been hanging so tough with Kanye. She is literally such a fucking piece of shit who hates black people even more than Kanye that she doesn't give a fuck about taking advantage of this brother and his damn issues to make sure her family gets enriched. Oh yeah, her fucking husband owns that failed ass experiment. I'm just the messenger. I cannot make this shit up. So at this point, I just feel like the shit should be clear. These people are straight up opportunists with no fucking agenda but to sow and create chaos. No. Not every black person is a radical or a leftist or a progressive even. And yes, of course, that should be fine. But this shit is not okay. Kanye is not okay. But if you do insist on taking this nigga seriously, I'm going to insist that you also just come out of the closet already as a Trumpist. Okay? Just let me know what we're working with here. There are some foul things in the world, but not much is worse than taking advantage of someone when they ain't at their best. And this hoe is doing just that, and she ain't shit for it. I hope Donda haunts that hoe until the day she dies and goes to hell wherever and whatever that is. And that is that on that. Let's get into what we want more of this week, though. Number one, sex strike if you don't vote is giving me all the right vibes. Thank you, Trina, for putting it on us for real, for real, for real, with the blackest version of a sex strike we have seen this generation. This is old news, but it deserves a spot on the lady loves list. Trina and Saucy Santana released a get out the vote video recently in partnership with the dating app Black called No Voting, No Vucking. That's right. Which basically says, I ain't fucking with you if you don't vote. Now, here's what I love about this. Besides the video itself, which is fire and you should watch it. They used their platform wisely. They did research. They are the largest dating app for Black singles in America. And while 80% of their users reported being registered to vote, only 50% reported knowing the date of the upcoming midterm elections. So the app didn't stop at releasing a catchy video. They made it so that you can match with other singles based on the policy issues you care about and added an election center to increase Black engagement by getting all the news you can use about how to get to the polls and how to get your vote on. We are... 30 days out, less than that, from the midterm elections. And this here is right on time. So go check it out for yourselves. And do not, I repeat, do not forget to vote. Lady is finna go vote this week because we can early vote over here in Georgia. (laughs) Now, speaking of the GA, this week was all up in the mix with debates, debates, and more debates. Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock squared off earlier in the week vying for the Georgia U.S. Senate seat. And Stacey Abrams squared off with Brian Kemp and the Libertarian candidate Shane Hazel for the Georgia governor's seat. And look, y'all, okay, so the debates are important to watch in some ways because they help you understand the top lines of what the candidates stand for. And I'm gonna be honest, I thought the Republican candidates would be more clearly not about that life. And I'm finna tell you right now, they're a threat. Even Herschel Walker hit on some shit that I thought was strategic. I don't know, child. There's smoke coming out of my ears. We are most definitely going to have a runoff in the Georgia Senate race, and that is absolutely concerning to me. Also, even though we've been waiting on this rematch between Abrams and Kemp for the better part of the last four years, when corrupt Kemp refused to recuse himself as the man who oversaw the voting rules when he was also running to get elected, That shit was closer than I wanted it to be, too, if I'm being 100% honest. 
I mean, literally Kemp tried to take credit for increased Black voter turnout in Georgia. Look, I say this all with love and in love. Get off your ass and go vote. Seriously. I've heard all the grumbles about Stacey, and let me say something to you, and let me say it with my chest. We either gonna get Kemp or we finna get Abrams. Those are the choices, and you not voting out of protest ain't gonna do shit for nobody, I promise you. I've been hearing some black men grumble about Stacey. And let me say this. If you think Kemp finna ride for your black ass, you got a whole other thing coming to you. You teach people how to engage with you by engaging them. Y'all want to jump to withholding shit right away. And I'm telling you, that's not a strategy that works anywhere. You want to court Trump light on some chestnut checker shit? That's on you. But you better the fuck believe you're going to have to answer for that when he does exactly what he's doing for you now. Not a damn thing. He had four entire ass years to court you, boo. He's basic as fuck. Now don't you go being basic by entertaining him for no other reason than to stroke your own ego that somebody in power is talking to you. Cha. Anywho, please vote. You send a decisive message to him by voting him the fuck out, not by allowing the status quo to continue. Oh, Jesus. Welcome back to Ladies Love Notes, where we give you all of the real about being newly single and dating in your 40s. My loves, as promised, we are back with a new topic and more news you can use. And this week, my friends, we are talking about being a rebound and how to navigate that appropriately. Now, being newly single myself, I can say that after a year plus I got some strong feelings about this shit, okay? Having rebounded and having been a rebound. Now, first and foremost, let me say, a rebound is not the same thing as like your first real relationship after you got out of being in another real relationship. I think it's totally possible to get in a real relationship after having been in a different one. A rebound is what happens when you have freshly broken up with someone And then you jump right into something big, passionate, intense, and often doomed to fail as a long-term thing. By fresh, I mean within six months to a year of your breakup. Yes, that's right. I the fuck said it. I started thinking about this actually because a couple of months out of my last relationship, I started having sex with somebody else. It was fucking intense. My life was like completely the fuck chaotic. And frankly, I didn't know up from down, left from right. The sex was for the emotional release. You know, having someone want you and you want them at a time when you don't really know what the fuck you want or who you even are anymore. And even though I was super, super, super clear with myself and with the other person that this was a rebound, they still tried to lock it down with me. Jesus, be a fence. You know that shit didn't last but about 75 seconds. Now, my ex, they did the same shit, but basically done got into a whole ass relationship with somebody and called it dating. Let's just say it ain't ended well because feelings got hurt and all that. Let's just leave it there. I'm working on myself. I'm letting Jesus take the wheel. Okay. So now more than a year out from my breakup, I am halfway talking to somebody who themselves is going through a major life transition, having broken up with someone recently who they were with since high school. Child, what? I know. Sometimes I ask myself the same thing. So I thought it might be helpful to share some tips and observations from being on both sides as both the rebounder and the reboundee. Tip number one. Get clear about what shit is and what shit ain't and do all that on the front end. No exceptions. So look, my rebound was somebody who I enjoyed spending time with, but I was super clear that I did not want to be in a thing with them. I knew I had healing to do and that I was literally just passing the time. We had incredible sexual chemistry, but that was about it. I didn't get butterflies, none of that other shit. And I was really honest with them about this, like, really. 
They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't want to get into a relationship either, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And then the next thing I know, they was trying to sleep over at the crib and telling people we were dating when we most definitely was not doing nothing of the sort. Would we kick it? Yeah, like mostly with other people. We liked some of the same things, so we would do some of those things together, but it was not a vibe like that. I held my boundaries with them around shit that was moving into a different territory, but it didn't stop them from trying. Good morning and good night texts. Nope. Wanting to sleep over at the crib. Nope. So I cut it off. Even though the sex was amazing, the other shit made it way too complicated and I got clearer that actually they couldn't separate the shit out. So I put us both out of our misery. My ex went a different direction. They dove deep into the feels and the euphoria of a rebound without being super clear with themselves and the other person that wasn't no future in that. At least not that way. I will say to you right the fuck now, if the person you're rebounding with was in a relationship that was, I don't know, more than three or five years, and you just fucking with them three to five months out from their breakup, and you somehow think you finna lock it down, I'm gonna pray for you, child. And I'm gonna pray for your broken heart because that don't even make no fucking kind of sense. I said what the fuck I said. People just out of breakups are trying to find life again. They are looking for comfort and kindness and are likely in no kind of position to jump back into something again. And if they act like they are, you should consider that one screaming ass red flag, not an invitation. Let me give you this game for free. Trying to lock it down with a nigga who was in a marriage for 17 years, literally three months into their breakup, is just, um, yeah. And if the nigga is telling you they trying to lock it down with you, you need to be looking at they ass sideways as fuck because that also don't make no sense, like at all, at all. Ain't happening, and it didn't happen just like I said it wouldn't. Now, in that situation, nobody was being clear about what the shit was and what the shit wasn't. Now, my mom used to say, a hard head make a soft behind. And honey, a soft behind was made. Tip number two, be honest with yourself about how you feel and what you want. Do not, I repeat, do not walk into some shit with somebody who has just gone through a breakup and not be truthful with yourself about what you want and what you need in reality. A person who has gone through a breakup is trying to move on and stay put all at the same time. They need time to work through all of the transitions that they are going through. And that might mean that they come towards you because that's what they used to doing. But you shouldn't assume that it's like your charm or some shit. I hate to tell you this, but it probably really isn't any of that. It's more like muscle memory or some shit. If you're just coming out of a relationship, that says you're used to being with somebody. Now, the shit I got going on, it works for me right now because I really, really am not trying to be in any kind of relationship. I'm dating. I'm doing my own thing. I'm not trying to be anybody's girlfriend right now, but I will know when I am ready and when I've met the right person. Me and dude, we enjoy each other's company and neither one of us has any need to talk about anything in the future because that's not what I want, and I know that's not even something he can do or even should be doing right now. Our time is our time, and it's good. Now, if I wanted a relationship, this would not be the person at this time to be pursuing that with. I know that, and I'm clear about that. It lets us just enjoy each other without getting caught up in a lot of fucking nonsense. We stay in the realm of rebound because it's honest. And if it's ever going to move out of that, I know it's going to be at least another year until that even is a possibility. And trust me when I say, a lot can happen in a year. So I'm not even leaving a place for him at the table. Sometimes you have an unexpected dinner guest and so you accommodate. But you don't set an extra place at your table when you know good and damn well somebody said, I'm going to try and make it. Yes, I'm talking to you. Stop that shit. And if you find yourself doing that, you should probably stop what you're doing and move on to someone who wants the same things you do. 
Just be your sweet, tender self and give them your best Erica Badu next lifetime speech if you see yourself trying to do relationship shit with somebody who's in a rebound or vice versa. Too many y'all is out here not being honest about what you want. And as a result, you are in for a crash landing. You may also not be being honest with yourself about what the other person is going through. And that too is a recipe for a crash landing as well. Now, I promise you, it ain't gonna be you that speeds up their healing or their acclimation process. Only time takes care of that. I promise you, it's weird as fuck if someone who was in a long-ass relationship before you is telling you they love you after two months. Cha. If that's the shit you want, I got an oceanfront property to sell you in Idaho. Which leads me to the final tip for this episode. Have clear boundaries with yourself and each other. When you're in rebound land, you're looking for connection, but you may not be capable of real connection. I know for me, I wanted to move forward, but I wasn't ready to be in anything serious or even fucking be accountable to anybody. But I wanted to live my life and figure out how to do that again. I wanted freedom, and I was also terrified of freedom. With the dude, same, same. He's out of his thing. He knows that's the right thing for him. He's ready to move forward and literally doesn't know how. So, as a rebound, I literally just give him all the space. To be honest, I need the shit too. See, the thing about rebounding is that we're excited for the possibility of a new person in our lives, but it also scares the shit out of us. I reassure him a lot. I do not want to lock it down with you. I am totally good doing what we're doing. Nothing more and nothing less. And in the meantime, while you're going through all the things, put some fucking respect on my name because it's likely you will not meet someone like me who sees the God in you and isn't trying to put you in a jar. And I'm pretty sure he gets it. And I get it. And strange as it is, we get each other. And that's good enough for right now. For all you folks out there on the rebound, and maybe even if you are the rebound, slow and steady. Be honest with yourself and each other about what you want. And be real about the fact that if you want a relationship and you are the rebound, it's highly unlikely, highly that you finna get the relationship you want inside of rebound territory. If you want something deeper, have some discipline and some damn discernment, AKA good sense, and give it the time it needs to go there. And sometimes that means you gotta leave it and come back to it in time. And make sure you set boundaries too. Just because you're the rebound doesn't mean you sacrifice your dignity. You can uphold your standards and have a light, fun time. Keep it light and keep it cute. (laughs) That's it for Lady Don't Take No. We will be back, I promise you, next week with a new conversation. And as always, some more news you can use. And please check out our socials to find out how you can get us your questions on love, dating, relationships, and situationships on my next Ladies Love Notes. Mm, Speaking of the socials, we are also posting ways that you can get involved with the causes you hear about on this show. And, 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 we most definitely, absolutely, positively want to hear from you. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like and tell us what you ain't going to take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. On Meta or Facebook or whatever, we are at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our incredible producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is by Latirix. And this pod was supported by the Black Futures Lab. And me, I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, if you still rocking with Kanye after all this shit, you too are the problem. Oh, and Candace Owens is an opportunist and a chaos agent who preys on Black people because deep down, she hates being Black. Ain't no freedom without Black people. Many have tried and failed, so quit that shit 
with all that anti-black bullshit because ain't nobody going to get to be white except for white folks. They built it that fucking way. Also, shout out to the dating app Black for that video with Trina and Saucy Santana and the alignment of your platform with your politics. And vote like your fucking life depends on it because baby, it the fuck does. That's right. I said it because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no shit. Insist on respect the sister. Walk around like a womanish. She won't speak less it's something worse. Saying don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Little luxurious. Love y'all.